You're listening to Acts, the beginnings of the Christian Church, a sermon series by the young adults of Calvary Tabernacle. For more information, visit us online at www.yacalvarytabindy.org. Um, so I, I think I missed the first lesson or so on Paul's first missionary journey. And I just wanted you, I don't, I don't know how you feel, but Acts has always been frustrating to me because I don't know what they're talking about when they talk about places. So if someone has talked about this already, pardon me. Um, but I needed this to get through my chapter. So I thought it might help some of you. So we're going to back up to the beginning of just very, very quickly. Um, if you can find um, Antioch, <coughs> where the arrows start, so Antioch to the southeast, um, that's where Paul started, Paul and Barnabas. They were separated out there was prayer fasting um, they were chosen they scooted across to Seleucia I'm just guessing on pronunciations then they went to the island of Cyprus to Salamis where they preached then they went to uh, Paphos on Cyprus which is where Elamis the sorcerer was made blind who got to teach that lesson remember I love that's one of my favorite lessons to teach with third graders because you get to do the voices and Paul just is so cool in that chapter. Um, <clears throat> oh, child of all subtility. Oh, it's so good. Makes him blind. Um, then he goes to Perga, which is in Asia Minor. Then he goes to the second Antioch, which is up north, and preaches. And that's where we ended last week when the Jews drove them out of town. So just to kind of give you some perspective, I've always thought that if Acts had taken place in the United States, I would get it so much better. Like if they were like, they started in Topeka, Kansas, and then they moved to Arizona, and then they went to, like I would be able to see it. But for some reason, all those names just make me want to throw my Bible. So <clears throat> hopefully this helps you. Um, it helped me a little bit. Not a lot, but a little bit. So um, you can put that aside if it's going to distract you or bother you. Um, because I um, don't have PowerPoint, obviously, it would probably be helpful for you to have your Bible out because we're going to go through um, 28 verses today, which is quite a lot, of course. Um, when when I was praying about teaching this lesson, um, when you teach this many verses, it can get kind of dry just teaching it um, just as a history sometimes. So what I did was I, I, I talked to the Lord and I said, I need something to pull out of this chapter that I can feed off of. Because after a while, I don't know if it's if you're like this, but it just becomes people and places, and you start tuning it out like you tune out your history teacher. No offense, Sister Malloy. But you know what I mean. So, or, or your math teacher, or your third grade teacher for that matter. Um, <clears throat> but I, I, got, I felt like the Lord said, I want you to look at this through the lens of faith. And um, faith is kind of something that has always frustrated me just a little bit. Um, it's one of those things, I, I can't think of an example, but something where you try to step on it and it, as soon as you get it, it scoots out of the way or like trying to catch something and as soon as you get close, it jumps out of your hands. That's how I felt about faith because I think I have it, <laughs> you know? Like if you ask me right now, do you have faith to be healed? Sure I do. <laughs> but ask me to go down and have faith to be healed, that real concrete stuff, and all of a sudden I feel like it has escaped my grasp. Has anyone else ever been there? so frustrating. It's almost like you, you don't know you don't have it until you're in a situation where you need it, and it's so frustrating. Um, and so I wanted to look at this through the lens of faith to try to get a better idea of the, 
role that faith played in this chapter um, in the lives of a lot of people. Um, Webster defines faith as belief without evidence, which sounds a whole lot like scripture, um, and confidence or trust. And the Bible calls it the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen in Hebrews. It also says that it is essential for pleasing him and that it will be rewarded when diligently applied. So if we diligently seek him through faith, then we will be rewarded. The Bible says that. Um, in this chapter, we see that Paul and faith, or Paul and faith, cool. Paul and Barnabas have faith. They have faith to preach, to minister, and to trust in the guidance and protection of God. We also see faith in the people that receive what they say. The Jews and the Gentiles have faith to believe for salvation and for healing in this chapter. And then at the very end of the chapter, we see Paul and Barnabas retrace some of their routes. And they go back and they speak to the, the disciples, the people who have already received the faith, um, and tell them to continue in the faith. So we see that faith actually has a big part in this chapter. And I guess you could probably make that argument for the whole Bible. But I wanted to... to Look just at this chapter today. So if you look at chapter 14, verses 1 through 5, um, I'm going to go ahead and read because, um, I, I don't know, I hate to have to, I feel like I take up too much time reading it, but that's what we're here for. So um, <clears throat> pardon my pronunciations of the names. I'm kind of just making them up. <clears throat> uh, verse 1, and it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude both of the Jews and also of the Greeks believed. So they're having success. Verse 2, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. So like they had in the chapter before, they had some trouble with the unbelievers and th they were Jews. Verse 3, long time therefore abode, therefore abode, they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. So we see here that they are having success. People are believing, but the unbelievers were able to convince other unbelievers to become bitter with Paul and Barnabas. So they have this, this success, and then people are coming in and trying to destroy it. However, in verse 3, you see the word was confirmed with signs and wonders. Faith by the preachers and the people led to miracles. You have to have faith on both ends of a miracle, I believe. I believe you have to have faith in those that are praying, and I believe you have to have faith for those that are from those that are receiving. When those two parts of faith meet, there's a miracle. So we see that the people in this town did have faith. However, the city was divided, and the Jews and the Gentiles both went to the rulers to try to get rid of Paul and Barnabas. You would think that Paul and Barnabas would be so frustrated at this point, because this is almost like just a repeating story over and over. I mean, sometimes I get frustrated reading Acts because it really is like the same story, different place. Poor guys, I feel so bad for them. How frustrating would it be to preach it and then have it snatched away in so many cases? Moving on to verse 6 through verse 10. And they were made aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, 
cities of Lyconia and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man in Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. If you look back at verse 6, this encouraged me. It says that they were made aware of the plot against them to stone them. And they fled. And that made me feel good. I don't believe that they fled because they were scared. I believe they fled because God led them out of a dangerous situation. But I think that the devil tries to use the idea of faith to discourage us and say, that if you don't stay in an awful situation or whatever, a danger, whatever, whatever, then you don't have faith. But I believe the reality of it is that God moves us sometimes out of dangerous places and chooses to protect us from that. They were stoned later in this chapter. It's not like they escaped the, the torment of it. But God said, not here, not now, and moved them. And so I believe that God at times... We have to have faith to trust in the divine guidance of God, not in what we perceive to be his will. I think that if they had analyzed that situation, maybe they would have stayed and been stoned or killed or whatever. But they believed and trusted in the voice of God. Verse 7, so they went to Lystra now, um, and they crossed a border. Unto the, um, verse 7, it says, and there they preached the gospel. And I was struck by the simplicity of that statement. There they preached the gospel. They didn't preach anything fancy. They didn't preach healing or victory. They preached the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they had truly a ministry of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says that we have all been given a ministry of reconciliation. And if you look at the definition of reconciliation, it's to bring peace to a situation. A sinner is separated from God by their sins. And as a minister of reconciliation, our job is to reconcile those two together. Through our testimony and through preaching the gospel, we have the path of reconciliation, but we have to preach it to them so that they can get it. The ministry of reconciliation is a peaceful thing. It doesn't always have peaceful consequences, but the intent of it is to bring peace. And they preached the gospel there, even, even though they had had kind of bad situations. Um, verse 8 tells the story of a man who hears Paul speak, and he has faith to be healed. Faith comes through hearing God's word, not through any other method. Faith is the key, truly. They didn't, I, I don't see any evidence that they preached healing here. It just says that Paul perceived that he had faith to, to be healed and said, stand up, and the man was healed. Because the gospel not, is not necessarily healing. But he preached the death and the burial and the resurrection. <clears throat> uh, an interesting, excuse me, an interesting side note is that the city that, he is, that they are currently in is the home of Lois and Eunice and Timothy, who later play kind of big parts um, in the book of Acts and in later gospels. Well, not later gospels. Later letters, later events. <laughs> making stuff up now not getting enough oxygen all right um verse 11 moving on are you guys still with me i'm sorry if i i get so uncomfortable without visual aids what is my problem 
I just feel like you guys are like, oh. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. Verse 11. This is such an interesting um, section of, the, of this chapter. And when I read it, I was immediately taken back to India because it reminded me of what the people did there. Um, <clears throat> and when the people saw what Paul had done, when they saw that that man had been healed, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. So they, they, they switch back to their native tongue, and all of a sudden Paul and Barnabas can no longer understand them. So that's a problem because they're making plans here, and Paul and Barnabas have no idea what they're doing. Um, and they called Barnabas Jupiter, which um, in the Greek, that's the Latin name, and the Greek is Zeus, and Paul Mercurius, which is Hermes. So um, they were, I'm sorry, I might have missed Mess that up. Barnabas, Jupiter, Paul, Mercurius. Um, Hermes was was the messenger of the god. So they called Barnabas the god and called Paul the mouthpiece of God because he was the one that was doing all the talking. Verse 13, then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands into the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out, and saying, sirs, why do you these things? We are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these saints, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. Um, in India, in a lot of countries where they serve pagan gods, um, they honor the gods with garlands. And in India, they would use these beautiful orange marigold flowers, and um, they would put them on people, or on, they would drape them on these horrible, grotesque statues that were their gods. Um, and that was their way of honoring the gods. They would have to pay to get those garlands. Um, of course, that was how the priests made their living. Um, but that's what happened here. So imagine Paul and Barnabas are standing there. They've just seen a man healed. They're rejoicing in that, and all of a sudden there's a big hustle and bustle in the crowd. And they, don't have, of course, don't have any idea what's going on because they're speaking in their native tongue now, not in Greek. And all of a sudden they realize that they're going to sacrifice to them. They're going to honor them as gods. They're putting garlands around their necks. They're getting oxen ready to slaughter and can you imagine the panic? I mean, for one thing, who wants to see an oxen slaughtered? Gross. And for another thing, that's, that's scary to, to, you know, to think that someone would see you as a god um, or esteem you higher than you, than you should be esteemed. Um, so they run in among them and start you know, yelling, please stop, please stop, and rip their clothes and do everything they can to stop them. But I think that one of the interesting things about this is the way that they teach God to these people here. They don't, you know, we look at Stephen and all the other people that have preached, even Paul um, and Peter at times preached using Jewish history and Jewish genealogies. But here, there's no point in doing that, is there? Because those people have no concept of the Jewish religion. And so, <clears throat> they appeal, like Romans 1 says, to the natural world. And they say, 
look at the trees, look at the natural world. You've had um, rain, you've had fruitful seasons. Do you think that's an accident? There's a God. We're men just like you, but there's a God who causes all of these things to happen. And so we don't see any evidence here that, that the people were necessarily converted because it says they scarce restrained them from doing sacrifice. So just barely stopped them in time. Um, but we do see that Paul and Barnabas used wisdom when preaching the gospel. And you run into this all when, when you're preaching, when you're speaking to people. You have to tailor the gospel, not change the gospel, but you have to, to present it in a way that they're going to connect with it. When you're in, te- when I, oh, I call it teacher college. When I was at the university, um, they call it the fancy name is schema activation. <laughs> and so you're trying to, basically that is a person's background knowledge, what they already know. You're trying to pull that out of them, and then you're trying to connect it to what you're trying to teach them. And so that's what they were doing here. They were saying, you've seen God do things, and now we want to tell you who he is. So um, bad news is it still didn't go well for them, as we can imagine from the pattern in this chapter. Um, Verse 19 and 20. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he stood up, or he rose up, and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. So <clears throat> they're in Lystra, and these honorary people from Iconium and Antioch, where they've been rejected and chased out of town, find them in this new town, are so angry that they actually chase them <laughs> to their next place and track them down and stir up the people against them, so much so that they actually stone Paul. And I couldn't find anywhere a commentary that was brave enough to say whether Paul died. And I think that's because it's the, the scripture here is, I find a little bit vague as to whether it says supposing he had been dead. But when you look at the actual Greek word, um, for when it says that he stood up or rose up um, in verse 20, the word is anastemi, anastemi. Um, it's used 111 times in the New Testament, and 40 of them refer to the resurrection of the dead. So 40 out of 111 times. And I don't know, Brother Kilman, can we get any more conclusive than that? I, I really, I mean, I really tried for you. I thought there's got to be an answer here. Um, but regardless, the man was so gone that they supposed him to be dead. So if there was any breath of life in him, it was weak. (laughs) So what they experienced was a miracle. It doesn't even say that they prayed. It just says that they stood around him, and he eventually rose up. So it doesn't say how long or what they did exactly, but he was either raised from the dead or he was healed miraculously of some major injury. Um, And then... He came into the city. He went back into the city. And then the next day, finally, he left. I think that takes a lot of faith right there, a lot of courage to get up and walk back into the city. Um, Because there's some places where I have been um, hurt or scared, and honey, I don't go there anymore. So, um, and I wasn't even almost killed or killed and then resurrected. So, I think he beat me. He beat me on the faith there. All right, moving on to verse 21. 
Um, and when they had preached the gospel to that city, the Derby, and taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch. So if you're, you're looking at your map, you can see then that they are beginning to backtrack and go back and touch base with the people that they had left already. And we find out what they did in verse 22. It says, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. What a message there after what they had just been through. It says it com they confirmed the souls of the, the um, disciples. And I looked at that Greek word, and I, I guess I didn't write it down. <clears throat> oh, no, I did. It means to give someone something to stand on, to confirm, to just try to strengthen their roots, basically, the souls of the disciples, and exhort them to continue through tribulation. And who better to preach that message than someone who had just been through all kinds of tribulation? And I received that for my life as well, because there is going to be tribulation. There are going to be hard times. The Bible says nothing about an easy walk. It says that if we have faith in him and if we trust him, then he will provide for us. But it doesn't say it's going to be easy. And that is what I think Paul was trying to do. And I have thought many times that as a new convert, and I know probably people said it to me, said, this is going to be hard. But if I had been able to receive that, how many times I could have uh, not been surprised by the attack of the enemy. I, do, have you ever like been walking and things are good and it almost feels like a slap in the face, a bucket of cold water, like, hello, where is this coming from? And if, I, if you can be prepared for that, it's going to take much, it's going to be much tribulation before we enter into the kingdom of God. But it's worth it. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Um, verse 23, they also ordained the elders in the church and had prayed with fasting, and they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Um, this convicted me for a couple reasons. Number one, they didn't just ordain the elders, they prayed then they did my least favorite thing in the Bible. They fasted about the, the prayer, which shows you how in tandem those two went for these people. There, was no, there wasn't a separation. Jesus said some things go out only by prayer and fasting. And how silly is it of us, and I'm preaching to myself, to rob ourselves of those other things that we could take care of if we combined both of those weapons. I, uh, uh, that's a hard one. I hate fasting. hate it. But it's, it's like leaving one of your weapons in your pocket in war. How silly is that? Like having the answer and then not making the phone call when you need it. That's what not fasting is. Okay. And commended them to the Lord, trusted them, gave them over to the Lord. It must have been hard to leave their disciples and leave, you know, those people that they had nurtured and get up and just go, knowing there really can't be any communication in those days. Um, but they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Verse 24, moving on. And after they had passed throughout um, Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Adela, Adelia, and thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they had fulfilled. So they made full circle now, and they're back in the original Antioch. And it says 
and I, I think it's good, it's interesting wording here. It says that they returned to the place where they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. They did what God called them to do. They didn't have anything to be embarrassed about. They went back and they fulfilled the mission that God had put them on. What a neat thing to have said about you. They, the work which they fulfilled. Verse 27, and when they were come, they had gathered the church together, they were, they, the whole church. They rehearsed all that God had done with them. That's about three years of time. And how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the, with the disciples. Verse 28, they say long time could be as long as five years. So they were there for quite a while. Um, it, it, they, they told the church everything. We're talking missionary slideshow. And told them about how they had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. The, the Gentiles didn't always enter in, but God had opened the door of faith to those people. Um, if you would with me, turn to Hebrews 11, verse 32. 11, verse 32. Oh, I should do that too. Um, this is one of my favorite chapters for obvious reasons. Um, but I, I love this portion of the scripture because the writer of Hebrews makes it very clear that faith does not keep us out of tribulation and danger. And I think, I don't know how you are, but the devil beats me up daily with the concept that if I had more faith, more trust, that my problems would go away. Anybody else been there? I let the devil, and I agree with him. I listen to him, and then I agree with him, which allows him to affect my life. But he says, if you would not have problems. You wouldn't have this trouble with your job, or whatever, 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 if you would just believe and trust in God enough like you say you do. I reject that, though. Verse 32 says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Sam, Samson. I think I just said that like our president. I'm sorry. Um, and of Jephthah and David also and Samuel and of the prophets. Verse 33. Who through faith. And that's the title of what I wanted to say today. Who through faith. Nothing else. Not who through power. But who through faith. Just faith. Subdued kingdoms wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yet moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. But that to me does not sound like they had no problems who through faith persevered through these things. That makes me feel like I can do it. Does that make anybody else feel like you can do it? Because I'm pretty sure none of those things are on my resume. 
of things that I have done through faith. But if they are someday, I can do it through faith. That phrase is going to stick with me for a while. Who through faith did these things? Faith does not lead to glamour or to the Pentecostal ideal. Faith leads us to tribulation and pain because those that God sees or perceives that they have faith, he will lead them down the path of suffering because the path of suffering is where you will reap the rewards. It's where you will do the most good. So don't criticize yourself and let the enemy beat you up when he says you have no faith because you're facing things because it is the very evidence of suffering and trials that will prove your faith. That shows your faith. Your faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the bridge from what is seen to what is unseen. It is my faith that allows me to believe that my parents will be saved. It is my faith that allows me to believe that we're not going to miss the revival that God has for us. There's something coming. And it's either going to go through us or around us. I don't know which one it is at this point. That scares me too. But it's my faith that will connect us with the future, with the unseen. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 through 18, talks about how we need to trust and believe on the things that are unseen, not on what is seen. Determination and talent are not the required elements. Nothing is possible without faith. Nothing. We have faith to believe for things unconnected to us, but we lack the faith the nearer we are to the situation. That's why it's so easy to believe that God can use someone else and not us. That's why we can pray so fervently for the missionaries to have revival in South America and Asia, and yet we cannot believe that Indianapolis is due and ready and ripe for the revival that he has for us. God asked me one day to pray for something um, that I'm connected with, um, and I prayed. prayed a, I said a pretty good prayer. Got done, thought, I trust you, Lord. I trust you. I believe that you're going to do that. And then I started praying about something in my life. And as soon as I got started, the Lord stopped me and said, why do you have faith to believe for this other thing and no faith to believe for what is in your life? And he was so right. Why is it concrete and easy when it has nothing to do with me? And when it has something to do with me, I feel shaky and like I'm about to fall apart. And I took what I had, that faith that I felt about that other situation, and I applied it to the situation that I was praying about in my life. And instantly I had peace that I had not had in months. Because faith is the evidence. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. I felt what I was praying for for the first time. I felt like I was seeing it and feeling it because I took that faith that I had for other people. He doesn't move through our means, but our faith unleashes his ability to creatively bring people to him. I don't think we're going to recognize his ways sometimes. I think he's going to have some interesting things to show us, which makes me really excited to be part of what God's about to do, because I think he's about to unleash some creative methods, some interesting ways. I'm not saying the gospel is going to change, but he, in, in Acts 14, he healed a man on the street, and that spread the gospel. I want to be part of that. The more open we are to being used in any way, 
the more we will see his power move through us. As long as we can have this connection open, but if we don't have this connection open, it's my faith that stops me from ministering to people. It's my lack of faith. You might say it's my lack of faith in myself, but that's not true. I know the Bible. God can use a rock. He can use a donkey. He can use me. My lack of faith is in God. I'm preaching to myself. I'm sorry. My lack of faith is in God. If I really believed that he could do anything, then I wouldn't be so scared to pray for people. I wouldn't be so hesitant to walk out and take a chance. If I really had faith in that, I think is what I pulled out of this. Not not the condemnation of that, but the hope of that. You ever, you know, you're searching for the key to something, and you finally find the key, and it opens the door. Faith is the key. It's what we need. And I don't receive that as condemnation. I don't receive that as God saying, you don't have faith, so I'm tipping you. I receive that as, here you go, Katie. Here's the key. Would you use it? So simple. Faith has nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. Faith is knowing, believing that he is able. And he is able. There's something cool about to happen. And I want to be part of it. I don't want to miss it with my lack of faith. I want to have the faith to sacrifice, faith to give more than I've ever given. I want that. Because if I really believe that he was a rewarder of those that diligently diligently sought him, I, I, I wouldn't hesitate. If someone said, on the other side of that door is a million dollars, and I had faith in that person, like Brother Barkus said, I'd believe him. I would. I would get to the other side of that door. I might look like I can't get to the other side of that door, but I would. I would get to the other side. I'd kind of like to see me try. <laughs> but I would get there. Just like if I really had faith that he would heal the people that I pray for and that he would do the things that he says he would do, that my prayers would reap, then I would do it. And I I hope that you receive that with me. Um, Let's pray. Jesus, God, we've read this chapter today, and we seek a greater measure of faith this morning. God, I pray that you would pour out faith upon us, faith not just to believe, Lord, but faith to do. God, not just faith to change our mindset, but faith to change our actions. God, we commit ourselves to you again. Lord, we give ourselves to you. We ask for your commission, for your instructions, for your guidance. We present ourselves as living sacrifices this morning. We bind ourselves together in unity. Pray for your protection and for your blood covering. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Things are a little out of order this morning, so your breakfast is right back there. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Y'all have a good day.